What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And I have a treat for you guys today. This is Lizzie Lasher. She is a friend. Lizzie Lasher? Lasher. Let me say that right. Lasher. My bad. This is a, a friend of mine that I met on the Bird app on Twitter. And not only does she love punk rock and liberty, but she is also in recovery. So this is yet another story of hope. Uh, Lizzie did a fantastic job. She talked about being nervous beforehand, which I get, but man, you, you can't even tell. Like she just has an awesome story. And uh, we talked for quite a bit about, you know, where she was at, where she, you know, what happened and where she's going with her future. And this is just a really informative, great episode. And so without any further ado, here is Lizzie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the one and only Lizzie. Lizzie, thank you so much for making time to come on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's pretty hot here right now, but um, yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. The ass end of summer is always the worst, you know? Yeah. yeah. What the well, fuck and is that? Somehow, somehow I managed to not... Uh, put in my AC all summer because I've been working a lot <laughs> and I wasn't coming home till evening. And now it's just like, okay, well, why do it now? <laughs> You've gone this long. Fuck it. Right. Yeah. yeah yep. That's great. Well, um, <laughs> you know, we, we cross paths online and you know, you have an affinity for punk rock. You also do the recovery thing. It's, you're you're yet another spectacular person that you know I found on on the bird app, and uh, I really wanted to get you on here to share your story, talk about okay. you know what was going on. So, give us a little background, like who is Lizzie? Well, uh, let's see. So, you know, I grew up in a pretty normal middle class family. Uh, my parents were pretty great. Uh, very open uh, to us kind of finding our own paths and exploring our own way. Um, my, you know, no real um, abuse or trauma or anything there. Uh, my first real introduction to drugs was, you know, I think fourth grade when they sent, you know, the cop from the D.A.R.E. program into our schools and he had a poster board, you know, kind of science fair style with all these different drugs all on the poster board. And he told us, well, this is what this drug is. This is what it will make you feel like. This is about how much it costs. And this is where you go to find it. <laughs> and, and I thought, hey, that sounds kind of great, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I remember that being the first time my interest was really piqued. Um, I kind of always... Looking back on it, I always had a penchant for escapism. Uh, you know, I used to sleep a lot because I just loved dreaming because it was not this reality. Uh, so then I went to went to elementary school with uh, a lot of kids that were a lot, their families were a lot wealthier than mine was. And so by middle school, I started to notice, hey, I'm different than these people. And so I started hanging out with other kids in middle school, you know, skipping school, smoking a little weed, uh, stealing some beers and liquor from my parents, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, 
let's see, then I made it through ninth grade. I made it through my first uh, year of high school and I just fucked everything up uh, and didn't get the good grades. Uh, just fucked everything up. So my parents having realized that they wanted to send me to uh, like an outward bound style program. I don't know if you ever heard of those, but they couldn't afford it. So they decided they'd make their own. So they were going to wake me up at 5 a.m., make me do this, make me do that. And I decided, fuck this. I'm out of here. Kirk <laughs> off. So hold on. Hold on. So outward bound, do, is that like a military type of thing? Military I school? I think so. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, for the, the fuck up kids. Like you send them away. They they make you go through all these processes, you know, kind not okay. necessarily military, but that kind of mentality. Yeah. Now, up to this point, like, how were your parents before that? Like, they were great. So were, yeah. did y'all have a, a completely different type of relationship, I would imagine, before they went this route with you? Well, you know, I think they were struggling uh, with me. I was a tremendous rebel. Um, My and, people. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, they tried every method they could with me. And I would just say, no, fuck you, I'm not. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but I think they were also just between themselves, they were going through some relationship issues of their own during that time that I wasn't necessarily privy to. That may have been an underlying thread with me acting out. Okay. Uh, but I didn't really recognize that at the time. And I can't really pinpoint uh any of my destructive behavior back to that <laughs> <just>. damn it <laughs> I, know. I, know. I know oh that's funny so i didn't mean to interrupt you but i was just curious no. because like you know especially for your parents to try to like do that overnight like if you had a vastly different relationship like that would be culture shock you know waking up in a yeah. different environment almost you know yeah, no, they were just trying to do whatever they thought, you know, they could to get me back on the right track. And uh, I just said, fuck you. And I jumped out, I packed a bag and jumped out the window and ran away from home. Um, you know, and yeah. I did that for a while. Uh, so, yeah. And then, and then at one point I ended up, uh, so I ended up dating a guy and, uh, we decided, I, I had I'd been raised kind of uh, atheist agnostic, no real uh, religion or spiritual anything in the home. And, uh, but I was sent to Catholic school for first through third grade. So that was a weird dynamic. But, um, but so part of my rebellion after uh, leaving home was I decided to go on a quest for God. So we kind of went hitchhiking around the country. Uh, during that period of time, I, we weren't doing drugs or drinking or anything. We were actually just seeking a spiritual path. And wow. I did find it. Um, I didn't. And then I ended up pregnant with my daughter, who's now 23. Uh, and so, you know, good good timing that I wasn't really involved in any kind of substance abuse during all of that. Right. So, uh, so yeah. So then I moved back home, uh, to my hometown and, uh, had my baby and, uh, I did eventually leave her dad. Uh, and so I was a really, if I do say so myself, a really good single mom for a good six years. Um, 
we were best friends. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I was a poor struggling single mom, but we were, we were doing good, you know? Um, and then I just kind of started dabbling a little bit with cocaine here and there with friends at parties. Uh, and then it, I'd been running a cleaning business and, uh, uh, one of my clients, uh, he said he was a contractor. Well, it became pretty apparent that that was a front for his drug dealing business, his cocaine. He was a cocaine dealer. Uh, and so, and then my dad died. Uh, and that was really traumatic for me. Um, he was my best friend and I was really hurt and I just didn't have the right tools to handle that properly. And so I went to, you know, the guy that was a client of mine and I said, look, it's pretty obvious what you're doing here. I just don't know if it's Coke or meth, but either way I want some. And, uh, so, you know, trying to escape the pain of my dad having died. And so, you know, of course he sold me some cocaine <laughs> as cocaine dealers will do. Yeah. They <laughs> tend to do that. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, then I got a little bit of money from my dad's estate. Somehow my mom managed to squeeze out some funds for my sister and I. It was $10,000. And uh, and when I got that check, I thought, okay, I'm definitely not going to spend all of this ten grand on drugs. But this first thousand, you know, it only makes sense. Because if I buy in bulk, then I can sell it to my friends. And that's just good economics, you know? Like a classic, <laughs> classic mistake. I love it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, of course, I did spend the entire 10 grand on cocaine mm -hmm. uh, in the course of about two months. Oof. Um, Oof. Yeah, yeah, two months. Damn. I, I forgot to pay my rent. I mean, I had $10,000 and I just forgot to pay wow. my rent, you know? So, of course, I was getting evicted. Uh, and one day, my, my mom stopped by. I'd been on, you know, a three-day bender. Um, and my daughter was still living with me, unfortunately. Uh, uh, you know, this period of time, you know, about two months, it wasn't that long of a period. So, it is a huge regret of mine. Um, but... My mom stopped by one day and I was passed out having been on a three day cocaine bender. And uh, I had a, my boyfriend was there watching my daughter, but my mom picked her up and took her for what she thought was likely uh, the weekend, you know, while I got my shit together. Turns out I did not get my shit together in a weekend. Um, and, uh, uh, so, yeah, my mom ended up having my daughter for a good few years. Uh, I had an ex-boyfriend that had come back to town. He had moved to Santa Fe. Uh, he was kind of trying to escape some hardcore, dangerous, bad situations of his own. And he moved to Santa Fe to get away from that trouble that he was in. And he came back and saw the state I was in and said, hey, why don't you come with me? You can stay with me. You can get clean, all of that. So I did. Uh, but we didn't have any knowledge or tools of how to do that. And so what we were doing was just getting shit-faced drunk every night 
in order for me to uh, get clean from cocaine. Yeah. Well, yeah. as you know, that doesn't work out so well. Um, and, you know, we, he, when we had been dating, he was a real jealous guy. We'd had a lot of fights. So one of those nights, uh, we were out drinking at a bar. Um, we got in a fight. I made him let me drive his truck home because I was less drunk than he was, which wasn't saying much. And, uh, you know, I parked the car. So he was a couple steps ahead of me going inside the house. He'd been renting a room from a guy. And he went in the bedroom and uh, shot himself in the head with Damn. his 45. And we had been out shooting that same gun earlier that day, taking pictures. Um, so I called 911. You know, she told me, the 911 operator told me, uh, you know, is he breathing? And I said, I don't know. He's making some noise. And, you know, meanwhile, his brain is not inside his head there's no she, she told me to give him cpr and i believe that i did uh you know there's no amount of cpr that can bring someone back from a point blank 45 bullet to the head right um but i believe that i did and you know like many people uh in serious trauma situations i blacked that part out my brain protected me from those memories the next thing I remember, uh, there's a cop giving me a gunpowder residue test on my hand. Uh, they took me in and interrogated me for about 13 hours, uh, which, you know, gunpowder residue tests come back a lot quicker than that. Um, they could have let me go a lot sooner. I don't know what the reasoning was. Maybe I was still drunk. That's possible. Um, but yeah, so so that happened. Uh, the guy whose room we'd been renting did not want any part of us, well, me, uh, after that. And so I went and stayed with his boss for a couple days, just kind of slept straight through for three days. Uh, eventually, his, uh, his friends came down uh, from Colorado to pick up his truck. And they uh, decided, sure, I guess we'll bring you back with us, too. Uh, pretty much most of his friends and family at that point, and some of them still to this day. This was, I think, 16, 17, 18 years ago. I don't even know how long. Uh, really think I killed him. You know, really consider me a murderer. And, um, you know, so I wasn't greeted with open arms upon coming back to town and I was still struggling with that serious level of trauma, you know? Um, and so I just wanted to get fucked up all the time, of course, you know? Uh, and I did. And, uh, then some friends from Denver had called me, they'd called me previously and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're getting clean. If you want to come up here and, and rent a room from us, that'd be great. At that time, I was not interested in living with people who were getting clean and getting their life together, so I declined. Then they called me again shortly after uh, the ex-boyfriend's uh, suicide, and they said, hey, actually, we're not clean anymore. We're partying again, and so the offer still stands if you want to move up here. 
And I said, hell yeah, I want to move up there. So I did. I moved up to Denver and I um, immediately just started smoking crack, man. Um, that will get you. That one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So not, not a great path. Uh, no, no. That's the thing is like, you know, cause I, I had, and I'm not trying to step on your story, but I, no, no, I'm no, fascinated. No. This is great stuff, but I started out with powder coat uh -huh. as well. You know, when it came to cocaine and when I made that transition from, from Coke into crack, holy shit. I mean, it's oh, just, yeah. it's night and day, you know, yeah, it's a completely different world. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, neither one are advisable. No, <laughs> but, no. <laughs> you know, no. but yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and, oh, I guess I skipped over some of the teenage years too, where, you know, I was dabbling with different things, psychedelics. Um, I actually did a little mess, but it never really took, you know, you know, as, I don't know, a 16 year old. So, you know, I'd had experiences with this sort of thing, but nothing ever really stuck. Uh, I never really got addicted to anything. Uh, until those traumas really seeped in and I just couldn't handle it. I didn't have the right tools, you know? Um, so yeah. So then I was in Denver, uh, smoking crack every day, all day long as you do. And, um, uh, you know, ended up starting to date a, a guy who was a big time crack dealer. We started moving lots of, lots of weight out there. Um, uh, he, you know, let's see, he, uh, we got pulled over once we were having a fight. I had all my stuff in the car. We got pulled over the cops in the neighborhood that we were living in knew him already, but they didn't know me. You know, I was kind of new on the scene and, uh, they, they arrested him. They did not arrest me they impounded my car. Um, he had a, he had a, I guess, a camera case in in my car with, I don't know, a whole bunch of cash and cocaine residue and a digital scale and all this stuff. And somehow they still, you know, they, the cops, and, and there were various other, you know, differently weighed out bags of weed, a bunch of pills, a bunch of paraphernalia, all kinds of shit. And uh, they impounded my car. They gave me a ticket for the weed and they hit the, you know, the cops, they hit me up, you know, after he was already back in jail uh, and said, hey, we have, we have a bunch of cash that, you know, is this yours? Do you want to come claim this money? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been helping people move. Uh, you know, that's definitely not my cash. I, you know, I don't know. So I, they somehow dropped Somehow the ticket for the marijuana got dropped. Uh, they ended up keeping my car. I never was in a good enough mental state to get it out of impound. Um, uh, but yeah, so because of that, you know, word on the street was, oh, well, they arrested him and not her. So she must be a rat. Oh, right? uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and, and why they had arrested him, too. They, they, they knew who he was. They got him out of my car. They planted a baggie on him. Not to say that we didn't have stuff on us, but right. that particular baggie that they pulled out of his pocket was not in there before. 100%. They planted that shit on him to right. be able to arrest him again. 
So that happened, uh, you know, then just a whole series of bullshit gutter crap. You know, I got kidnapped by some, uh, you know, there's a lot of bloods and crips up there at that point. Some leader of the bloods sent his minions out to kidnap me. And Damn, Lizzie. Yeah. yeah, this all, you Jesus. Know, yeah. You were running wild then. It was it was pretty pretty fucking bad, man. Yeah. 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 yeah I've been uh held down with uh glowing red hot metal forks and knives to my face as a threat, you know. Just people people in those environments, you know, uh get fucked up and do fucked up things. <laughs> yeah, they do. You I, know? I, I've been in, in similar, you know, I, I can recall like definitely winding up in, in those types of situations, uh, you know, having a gun in my head, getting shot at, you know, and did you have those moments of clarity? Like when that was happening, like, this is not what I planned. This is not the way I saw oh, yeah. my life. I mean, every day almost, you know, I would look at a picture of my daughter, especially. Oh, and Yeah. And uh, just go, I got to stop this. I got to get out of here. You know, I can't be doing this. And, and I'm not being a mother to my child. Uh, and I would cry and then I would smoke some more crack, you know, because that, that drive just overcomes you, you know. Yeah. And I would think, you know, after I'd been up a couple of days, I would think, okay, this is the this is the time. I'm gonna go to sleep. I'm gonna wake up, and I'm gonna not do it again. Right. And every single time, I was wrong because I didn't remove myself from the situations. Uh, I was still, you know, I I overdosed hundreds of times on crack, which is not actually an easy drug to overdose on. Nah, nah, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. That's Three tough. of those times, I actually technically died. I kind of had a near death experience with one of them. I remember a whole thing going through a tunnel, you know, that kind of whole ordeal. Yeah. Um, and still, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop. Uh, I'd get picked up and go to jail for, you know, on paraphernalia charges or whatever bullshit charges over and over and over again. They'd keep me for a night and then release me the next day uh, until one day, I guess, I think it was, um, I got taken in for trespassing, disturbing the peace, you know, miscellaneous bullshit like that. Um, and the judge gave me a choice of um, go to jail for two weeks or you can do this uh, program. This I at the time I called it quit smoking crack, you dumb bitch program. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, uh. so I chose that and I went to the first one and then I never went back. So then I ended up with a warrant for my arrest and uh, eventually got picked up on that. Went to jail for two weeks. Uh, uh, I wear glasses. I didn't have glasses at the time. So that was great going to Denver County Jail blind. Um, but, you know, the whole first week, uh, while my brain still hadn't kind of cleared out yet, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, when this is up, I'm going to call my, my, my new crack dealer boyfriend and uh, have, him, have him pick me up. 
And to his credit, uh, he said no. Um, he said no. You, this is you are going overboard. Now he was not at the time a drug user. He was just a dealer. Uh, he had done his fair share of prison time. And he was just using it as a money-making venture for himself. Um, and I was clearly off the deep end, you know. And uh, he said, no, this has gone too far. You're out of control. I'm not going to come pick you up. Why don't you call your mom? So I did eventually after, you know, a little while of considering that. And I called my mom and uh, she said, okay, well, I'll come pick you up from jail when they release you and she did the research to get me to find a uh, recovery house for me to go to uh, in Colorado Springs and she checked me into the recovery house and um, I ended up living there I checked in there two weeks clean and I ended up living there for 13 months wow. um, yeah yeah, that was a that was really the thing that saved me, you know, that and the requirements that they had of me going to 12 step meetings, you know, however many per week it was getting a job doing this, you know, the structure. I just at that point, my brain was so fried. I just needed somebody to tell me do this or else <laughs> the end, you know. Yeah. Um, structure. Yeah. Yeah. Needed some structure, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, we're like that. We're, we're so often like that when we come in, especially because we don't know what the fuck to do. You know, I mean, smoking crack as a means of a coping skill. I mean, that is the basis of our understanding of the world around us. Like, so yeah, mm -hmm. you know, having that step-by-step -step instruction, you know, and showing like, Hey, look, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. Like, a lot of people take that for granted, but I, I have a newfound respect that I, as it sounds like you do as well, you know, for people who had the patience to tell cats like us how to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was a mess. The, the first uh, meeting I went to ever was actually a closed AA meeting and it was across the street from the house. And, uh, I didn't know the difference between an open and a closed meeting. You know, the girls just said, come with me to the, come, we're going to this meeting. So I go, okay. So, you know, I'm introducing myself and I'm all, you know, here's my name. I'm an addict. And oh my God, the looks on people's faces. And someone came up and whispered to me, yeah, you can't say that here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They go, this is for alcoholics. I go, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. Well, then you can't be here. And I was like, what the fuck kind of bullshit is this? Uh, so my first introduction to 12 step was a little bit rough. Yeah. Um, I thought, well, that's, you know, that's pretty shitty that I just can't say, speak my truth. Now, of course, later I grew to understand, okay, you know, it's perfectly acceptable for people to have closed meetings and open meetings. And I just didn't know. Um, but I did feel like the reaction from them was a little bit overboard. You know, I didn't know any better and I was brand, brand new. Right. Um, but then it was explained to me, you know, and uh, I started going to all different kinds of meetings, you know, NA, AA, CA, all the A's. And uh, 
got a sponsor, worked a program. Uh, it legitimately saved my life. Yeah. Um, Fucking awesome. Yeah. So how, how much clean time do you have now? Well, let's see. Well, okay. This was 2008 when I got clean the first time. Okay. Um, I did that for a good uh, three and a half, four years or so. Then, uh, you know, there's a, there's a place in the big book that you're probably familiar with uh, that says basically, hey, you know, if you don't think you're an alcoholic, why don't you go out and try drinking and let yep. us know how that works? Yep. Well, I decided, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I'll take says, you up on that I, offer. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, so I, I was like, oh, well, all right. Um, I, I was a drug addict. I wasn't an alcoholic. It's been four years. I'm probably good, you know, and alcohol was never a major problem for me. I'm, I can probably just do these things normally, like normal people. Right. Uh, so, you know, it started out... Uh, I want to say moderate, but that's moderate from my perspective, not, <laughs> not moderate from a normal person's perspective. So, you know, it was a good, I don't know, four or five years of, in my view, moderate drinking. It, it really wasn't, uh, but I wasn't going to jail I wasn't losing my job. I was still waking up. I was still taking care of uh, my my stuff. But, you know, I'd have awful hangovers and maybe call off. You know, I would, uh, you know, fight with the boyfriend a lot. I would um, not be as present uh, for my family as I should have been. Um, I would take it too far and get too drunk. I would... Uh, it, it really wreaked, wreaked havoc on my uh, mental state too. I'm, I'm pretty prone to depression naturally. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was just living in this state where I was pretty constantly depressed and, um, you know, newsflash, like maybe, you know, taking in depressants, on a regular basis is going to add to that. And it did. And, you know, then finally towards the end there, uh, again, somebody had cocaine, you know, and I thought, okay, let me try some of this. And it was shit. <laughs> it was not good. And I go, Hey, you guys, is this really like the best that you're able to find in town right now? And they're like, yeah, what are you talking about? I was like, Oh, okay. So I saw an in for a money-making opportunity. Uh, so I, you know, went back doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find better quality stuff and make a bunch of money because clearly there's a hole in the market. Um, and so I did that. And, of course, I started doing it all the time again. You know, that's not surprising to anyone who knows anything about drug abuse. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went through a cycle, you know, of, okay, this has to stop. I'm going to get clean. I actually managed for a while there, like, to, to uh, persuade myself into thinking that uh, 
I can stay clean and still sell cocaine to people. Um, I, I would make it about three months. You know, I'd do pretty well with that for about three months. And then I would go off the deep end for a couple of weeks and then start the cycle back again. And, you know, interspersed with all of that is, of course, booze and pills and just whatever. Um, cocaine tended to be my drug of choice, but, you know, I've done all of it. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, until finally uh, one day it just stuck again. And, you know, this I, I, I realized, OK, you got to quit being around cocaine you can't be doing this shit and actually expect to get clean and it was actually um i started going to recovery meetings again but i was pretty um i was pretty kind of nervous to go back into the 12-step rooms um i didn't want to run into old people I didn't, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, here I am. I'd been doing so well. And then here I am crawling back in with my tail between my legs. And, you know, in hindsight, yeah, maybe that's something I should have just kind of bucked up and, and gone ahead and, and done. Um, but I started seeking out alternatives. I knew I needed help. Uh, and so I started seeking out alternatives because uh, I was too scared to go back into the AA meetings. And uh, I stumbled upon a program called Refuge Recovery. And so I started going to those meetings. And um, Refuge Recovery is, it, it wasn't available back when I was getting clean in 2008. Um, it, it seems that just kind of recently in the past years, there's a lot of new recovery programs springing up as alternatives for people. Um, so yeah, this is a, a Buddhist approach uh, to recovery. Uh, it started by uh, this guy, Noah Levine. Um, and I had known of him. I'd read one of his books previously. It was called Dharma Punks. And uh, he was, uh, it was kind of an autobiographical book uh, that he had written about his life, being kind of a punk teenager in Southern California and, and getting into drugs. His dad was a Buddhist meditation teacher, and uh, he ended up going on a, um, oh, what do you call that? Like a, I don't know. He went on a trip to India to get clean, which his issue had been heroin. So that sounds pretty hellish being in India. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting off yeah. of heroin. Holy yeah. shit, that sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of, you know, I, I related to him. He was an outspoken punk rocker. Uh, he had gotten clean and I'd read his book. And then I find out that this refuge recovery program was designed by him. And I thought, okay, I can relate to this guy. And, um, and let's check this out. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was exactly what I needed at that time to get back into recovery. Um, it's a little bit more of an open, less structured system than the 12 step programs, uh, but they do have quite a bit in common. Uh, one thing about refuge recovery is it's non-theistic. There you are not necessarily required uh, to uh, seek a higher power. Um, I personally have never taken any kind of issue with the higher power dynamic uh, in 12-step. I think that it's 
really advantageous for most people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it works. I think that it's a good way, uh, good way to live. I think that the 12 steps are ancient wisdom that anybody and everybody really should use as just kind of a, a guideline for, for your life and keep yourself in check. I, I don't think they're just for addicts and alcoholics. I think everyone can benefit by working a set of steps. Absolutely. However, there are people that I've run into um, who have religious-based traumas from their childhoods uh, and they would come to me and say, hey, you know, in confidence, hey, I need help. But I just don't think I can do the whole God thing. And, you know, I tried to explain to these people, it's not really a God thing. It's a higher power of your understanding. It can be anything. Uh, but still, for people with, I think, serious religious-based traumas from their past, um, it's a hurdle that they maybe aren't ready to jump over yet. They have a block and anything that sounds like God, um, they just, it, you know, it's a trigger for them. Yeah, and they, it messes they, them they, up, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found that with Refuge Recovery, that's a really great alternative for people who, uh, you know, some of the ways of the 12 steps just don't jive with them. Um, I think there's multiple paths to recovery. I think everybody's different. And uh, one thing I, I do really like about refuge recovery, well, and it's, it's since been split up too. There was, as there are with any human groups, you know, there was a, a moment where uh, one faction didn't agree with the other faction and it divided into two. So there's refuge recovery is the first uh, um, program. And then uh, a division came and a group decided they wanted to start their own thing. And so they did based on the same principles uh, and they called their program recovery Dharma. So for anybody listening that, you know, thinks a Buddhist approach might work for them. If you just look up online refuge recovery or recovery Dharma, you can take a look and see if there's uh, any of those in-person meetings in your area They're They're getting more and more common. I think my town has, maybe one refuge recovery meeting and three recovery Dharma meetings now throughout the week. So right on. Um, yeah. So we, we do a meditation, which I've found very useful. Um, I've gotten a lot of uh, introspection and a lot of um, uh, learned a lot in those meditations. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I started doing that, uh, going to refuge recovery I, um, oh, you, I went on a tirade. You asked how long I'd been clean this time, a little over two years. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Know. you. Um, yeah. have you been back to any other 12 step meetings? Oh yeah. Yeah. I did eventually, uh, after I got a little bit more comfortable, yeah. um, I did eventually start going back. You know, I chose meetings that I hadn't gone to before. Oh yeah. Still kind of trying to hide. Got to be know? covert. Got to be uh -huh. undercover. I get it. That didn't really work. Uh, <laughs> people, you know. That is one thing about us. We fucking network. 
My uh-huh. God. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. It's old, it's old new behavior, you know, yeah. like, you know, oh, you know, such and such and yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden, you know, every state and people in every state around you and then all the way across the country, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's cool. That's how I ran into you, you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I joined Twitter because I was, oh boy, I, uh, Facebook ban, you know, Facebook deleted my account. They'd been banning me, censored me for all kinds of things. And, and I was just really getting, uh, Ooh, yeah, kind of disturbed by the state of things on Facebook, disturbed by the state of the world, disturbed by some of what my closest friends, you know, punk rocker, anti-establishment type people were saying and doing over the course of 2020. I was like, wait a second, you guys are like supposed to be against the man, anti-establishment, do your own thing, like freedom. And you're not living by that. Were you just faking it all along? So anyway, so I was really, (laughs) I think a lot of them are. So I was just really disenchanted. And uh, you had Jilla Biafra like, you know, shilling for Biden. Yeah, like, dude. <laughs> what? And and Mitt Romney, I think too. I think he came out in favor of Mitt Romney Jesus and Christ. Biden and Mitt Romney. Like, dude, really? Come, Come on, on, man. man. Yeah. People have lost their fucking minds over yeah, the past have. couple of years. But yeah, so that's how <clears> I ended up on Twitter. I was like, I gotta find my people. Like, uh-huh. I gotta, I gotta figure out somewhere just for my own mental solace that there are other people who feel the same way as me. Yeah. And you know, it's the same thing as meetings. I heard. Um, one thing I really liked, I was listening to your podcast from the other day and uh, your friend Ash said something about uh, tw- uh, recovery meetings are some of the best proof of anarchism in action. And I was like, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. For real. Straight up. Um, yeah. So like, you know, I started working um, and, and, you know, because yeah. we talk quite often, but, you know, I started working at this rehab and it's glaringly obvious that the clinical side, the medical expert, scientific expert side trumps any semblance of actual hardcore experienced recovery. So in terms of staff, you know, they're taking a master's degree and the license this or that over the person who's struggled for years and years and actually got recovery. And the thing is, is that these same people back in the 50s were the ones that were locking us up in prison, saying mm-hmm. that we could never get clean. There was no hope for us. And it's like they're still fucking running the show while pretending that they, you know, give a damn. Yeah. I don't know why I brought that up. Yeah, I do. Well, because because the 12 step, <laughs> I, I, I 12 step meetings came about recovery came about out of necessity. Like we had to band together cause fucking nobody else will. And if that's not anarchy, I don't know what is. Yeah. It was a grassroots movement to help ourselves, you know, yeah. to figure it out for ourselves. And that's way punk rock, way anarchy and way community. You know, it's all of those things, uh, working together to just, re- you know, I mean, that's all right. So that's a lot of what, uh, this, recovery coaching work that I'm doing now is and why I'm so thrilled to be involved in this. So, so the recovery coaching, uh, you know, like I said, it's kind of somewhere in between having a sponsor and having a counselor. Um, we are not certified as counselors or therapists at all. Um, it's, 
but it's also not quite the sponsor route either. Uh, we don't subscribe to any one tradition or any one program. Uh, we believe that there are multiple pathways to recovery and whatever works best for anyone is great. So long yeah. as it actually is working. Um, there's a lot of harm reduction stuff in there too, which I did kind of struggle with, to be honest at first. Um, because, you know, I do come from a culture of abstinence is the only way. Right. Uh, I think abstinence is the best way. However, there are people who, you know, I'm, if you're shooting up heroin versus smoking weed every day, I'm going to call that a win. You yeah. know, um, I'm going to call that a win. Whatever, <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. works for each person. And if that's what you can do, I'll take that over you keeping doing heroin any fucking day of the week. Hell yeah. Dead addict uh, can't get clean. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. fucking keep them, keep yeah. them alive until they make it to us at least. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and you know, and there are, uh, you know, there's medical treatments that I preve you know, there's like the methadones and the suboxins and things like that, that I've struggled with accepting are a valid form of, of the process. I now recognize, yeah, everybody is different. Everybody's an individual. Everyone has their own path in their own way. And for a lot of people, those things can be really successful. Right. So you have to honor that uh, for them too. Um, that's one thing the recovery coaching uh, taught me. Um, but I, the reason I really do love it is I think often – uh, so I've been working a lot with women at a recovery house. Um, I've been going every week, uh, bringing a meeting to them, bringing different meetings. They're pretty used to going to the 12-step meetings. Um, so I've been bringing some refuge recovery and some all-recovery meetings. I don't know if you're familiar with that. All I've recovery. Heard of that. Yeah, it's really not structured. It's not very structured. It's basically just a space for anybody from any kind of program um, to just just kind of a, a moment for everyone to get together and say whatever you're feeling, whatever's going on with you, whatever you're working on. Um, and I think that can be beneficial for a lot of people too. Yeah. Uh, my boss, uh, my friend, who is now my boss with the recovery coaching, she runs an organization in town called Recover Simply. Uh, and she does smart recovery right. meetings uh, that apparently you have to be certified in. Mm -hmm. So I don't do any of those. Um, but the recovery coaching, I think, can be really valuable, especially for a lot of people uh, dealing with the court system. Still people who are still on parole or probation um, where a recovery uh, where a drug and alcohol counselor would have to report anomalies to your parole officer. I do not. Um, I Anything that people I'm working with tell me is 100% confidential. Uh, you know, even if they come into a private session with me drunk or high, I'm not at any, uh, I'm not mandated whatsoever to, to report them to their parole officer, which... I think is really beneficial. Yes. Um, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> very, yeah. I mean, cause you're, you're talking about, fuck man, I had a hard time dropping my walls down and letting you look yeah. behind the curtain as it was. If I knew that like you would go snitching on me. Yeah. I'm not going to tell yeah. you shit. Absolutely. And you know, drug and alcohol counselors, you know, through the CAC 
program, um, they're required to. If you're on parole, they have to rat you out if you're showing up drunk. Yeah. Um, now, I can understand, you know, that's all working within the system. And so the system is going to protect itself. Uh, but I don't think that works for addicts. I don't think we trust people enough to open up. And the whole thing here about recovery is trying to open yourself up, do some introspection, figure out what your fucking issues are and heal them. Yes. And you can't trust somebody you're talking to to um, to keep that private, even when you fuck up. You know, even if you fuck up, it's all part of the process. All of us have fucked up. Um, A lot. Yeah. (laughs) Most of us have gone clean or sober and then gone back and done it again and done it again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just really great, I think, for people to have someone that they know isn't going to get them sent back to fucking prison if they open up to, you know? So... That's what I really like about this recovery coaching stuff. Um, I do really like the organization I'm doing it through, Recover Simply. Her mission, I think, is a bit unique, too. And uh, she really, you know, she really feels that uh, people in recovery, we especially early recovery, we are bombarded with so much work that we have to do. It's always work on yourself, work the steps, go to meetings, do this, do that, do that. And there's reasons for that, and it's positive and beneficial. Uh, But a lot of times, especially for some of these women or men, um, I've only been working with the women so far, uh, you know, that are involved in the court systems, they have even more requirements. They have to get drug tested, and they have to go to court, and they have visitation with their kids, and they have to pay all these fines. And so our mission at Recover Simply is really just kind of to chill the fuck out and make things fun because I think sometimes in the process we miss, we lose sight of the fact that uh, we got into recovering from our addictions because we wanted our lives back. Yeah. We wanted to actually live again and have a fun life. It's not all work all the time. Uh, we do, we do a once a month. Well, actually it's, it's once a week now. Uh, but, uh, we do a craft night, uh, once a week where it's, you don't have to be in recovery. It's just a substance free event. We have an artist come in and guide us through a craft. We've done like happy hours with bands that are substance free events. You don't have to be in recovery, but we're not gonna be having alcohol or any drugs there just so that people can kind of start to remember, oh yeah, like life is fun. It's supposed to be fun. And I'm doing this to get my life back, not to just be in a constant cycle of recovery, recovery, recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's, that's, and that's a recurring theme that I've seen uh, with, Mm -hmm. with a lot of people is that like their families go from being sad because they lost their loved one to using to happy because they're back to sad again, because they lost them to, you know, recovery. And a lot, one of the things that we don't really learn how to do is balance, you know, and yeah, what a beautiful thing you are doing teaching balance. Like that's yeah. awesome. I think it's really great. I think it's really useful. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of, in fact, one of the reasons why I left the 12 step community the first time around 
and you know decided to use that phrase in the book book if you think you can drink why don't you go try it to to my own ends um was because i just you know after about four years i started seeing some of these people that again had legitimately set me on the path to save my life i don't want to get that twisted here but i just started noticing hey some of these people don't do anything else some of these people have really substituted their old addictions for this new addiction and that's fine if that you know again harm reduction if you know that's that's far better than what they were doing before and i'm not trying to disparage anyone for that right but that wasn't what i got into it for i got into it to get my life back and to do the things i used to do before addiction um i did not want to just only have this one thing in my life and just always be focused on uh, the the problems in myself that I was trying to overcome. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to yeah. I wanted to go roller skating. I wanted to go, you know, do art projects. I wanted to hang out with people. I wanted to have a solid foundation. Uh, but be able to also just relax and have fun again, you know? And I think yeah. we lose sight of that a lot. Yeah. Big time. I, I'll tell you one of the, I wound up in detoxes a lot before I actually, you know, got it. And every time I went, I'd hear a little piece, right? A little piece mm -hmm. of the puzzle. And yeah. the most prolific speaker I ever heard on an H and I panel was an a, a old guy from AA. And he came in and he talked for 35 minutes about scuba diving. That was his okay. new thing. And I remember just being so absolutely like just drawn into that. I was like fixated on this talk. He's talking about seeing the dolphins and seeing all these coral reefs. And like, he didn't even talk about him getting fucked up. He just talked about scuba diving for 35 <laughs> minutes. And I was like fixated. I loved uh. it. But that was what I wanted. That's what I've always wanted. And, and I've, you know, I found it to, to various degrees, not like him, or at least not like he made it sound like that yeah. dude. <laughs> Damn. I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> there's something to that. You know what I mean? We got to learn to live too, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, it, you know, I've been doing that. It's, uh, it's, it's going great. I really feel I'm getting a lot out of doing this work. Uh, you know, it's a typical, typically known thing in recovery circles that, you know, helping other people actually helps us more yes. than it helps anyone else. And that's holding true for me doing this work. But also, I, I'm seeing the the, the dynamic change in some of these women I'm seeing, you know, here I am somebody they don't know. And I start coming into their house and talk to them about stuff and it's taken some time. You know, you have to earn people's trust and you can't, you know, we're not going to just trust anyone just straight off the street. And you know, it takes no. time to build a relationship. So it, I've been doing this for a little while now and I'm starting to see, okay, they trust me now and they're asking me questions now and they they actually value my um, experience and opinion on some of these things. And I'll find myself. I mean, it's like from God. It's like something is speaking through me. I'll find myself just all of a sudden saying these things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know where that came from, but that's actually 
great advice. Like I, I should, I should probably do that shit. I should probably do that too. You know? Oh God. Yeah. That's been happening. And I just see their eyes changing, lighting up and trusting me. And, you know, I'm really getting a lot out of it. And I think that they're starting to also, and, um, yeah, I think this is a, you know, this is a great program, the recovery coaching. It's, it's, you know, a few different training sessions. It's not like a, a whole uh, certification program that's like a couple years long or anything that you have to do. Um, so it's pretty easy to get into. Um, I hear that, uh, you know, corporations are even hiring recovery coaches uh, to be on staff to help the, their employees. So it's kind of a legitimate uh, career path um, while also helping people and not too much investment up front to get into. Uh, and it's a way that I can uh, help people. So, you know, I'm still kind of running my cleaning business and I'm doing this now too. And uh, we're just gonna gonna kind of just do both for a while and see where these things take me. Well, see, here's the thing on, on the uh, investment upfront type of thing that you're talking about. Like folks like you and I, we are fucking invested. Like we put in yeah. plenty of time learning yeah. the intricacies of how to fuck up, but also yeah. come back from the abyss, yeah. you know? So uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping that we eventually start to see a shift, you know, and mm -hmm. how treatment is approached. Mm -hmm. Um we're not quite there yet, but I feel like we're getting a little bit closer, or at least I'm hopeful for it. And if not, I, I think the libertarian and anarchist solutions just start making our own fucking programs and going for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we are starting to see that shift. Uh, like I said, in 2008, there were not really options, you know, and I'm starting to see all these other options kind of spring up um, and options that are based on, you know, peer to peer support. Yeah. Uh, the reason I can do this work is because I've been there. I know what you're struggling with. I've been there myself. I fucked it up myself. I'm no better than you. I just finally, for whatever reason, took this path to figure my shit out. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can try to help you figure out your path to figure your shit out too. Right. You know? Right. Um, I think that peer to peer, not top down approach is wildly more beneficial. Um, I think people are you know, better able to trust you when they know when when I can open up and say, look, here's some of the bullshit I've done. Um, then people don't feel so alone. They don't feel like they can't trust me. I, I see people getting hired for jobs in some recovery fields that, you know, have a master's or just or a bachelor's or, you know, whatever in uh, these therapy fields, but they've never been there. And um, nope. in fact, I the, the manager of this house that I've been uh, going to, she had to quit, she had to move out of state and, and she was looking for someone else to take over. And she goes, you know, can you please apply for this job? Because I am interviewing person after person they're all like in their mid-20s they all have these degrees but none of them have any goddamn common sense and none of them have been where we've been I know your story can you apply for this job unfortunately that job required a bachelor's degree in the field um, but I think little by little 
yeah, people are starting to recognize the value of uh, experience over just uh, a degree. Yeah. 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 I did. I did too. I have seen, but uh, you know, alternatively, I have seen people just like us who actually managed to get a master's degree. Oh yeah. And man, you want to talk about some no bullshit characters right there. Yeah. That's the ones who are making some waves. And oh yeah, that's you know, the best of both worlds. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Like they get it to mm-hmm. the utmost degree. Because I mean, we really do um there's value in because here's the thing, 12 steps, recovery programs, whatever, they are not going to fix mental health problems. Right. They are they simply are not. Like right. there are some things that that program cannot cover. And so it's good to have the clinical side, but man, you gotta have the experience in there. But we're going in circles we, we're both in agreement on it you know? yeah, that's absolutely true and you know, that's something i had to figure out for myself as well uh with the depression i mean you know clean uh not drinking alcohol helped a great deal mm-hmm. but there were a lot of other things that i had to do and and you know talk therapy even can't uh help with everything different therapies work for different people Um, I think we don't, we also don't focus enough on self-care, you know, Uh, a lot of us, I know I end up holding tension in my neck and my back. I have a physical labor job Uh, that kind of ramps up pretty quickly for me. And I don't take the time to go see a chiropractor or get a massage or do those things. And those are actually medically necessary for me. And they, when I finally do, we don't consider that some of those, you know, self-care things actually make a huge difference on our mental state and how clearly we can uh, think and function in the world. Um, and yeah, I think those things are valuable. Meditation. Uh, Without a doubt. Know, yeah. All of that stuff, you know. Um, so. One thing I wanted to kind of, uh, before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask you about is whatever happened with your daughter? Did you get custody back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I stayed in that recovery house for 13 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we did a thing where, you know, while my mom had her, uh, I was cognizant enough to know that I did not want to be one of those people who, um, strung her along. Uh, I've seen that parents uh, in addiction put their kids on these emotional roller coasters. And uh, I had made one promise to her and broken it. And I, and at that point I thought, okay, that's, that's it. I'm not doing any more of this. I, you know, I know I'm not in a good enough mental state to be responsible enough to even speak to her. So I didn't even speak to her for about three and a half years. And, uh, and then when I got back and I was in that recovery house for about 13 months, uh, we decided, well, we're, you know, I'm the one who fucked up. I'm, we're going to leave this up to her. She was 11 at the time. Uh, and she gets to choose when she's ready to see me. And she had some major resentments towards me as well. She should have. And, uh, so she was not ready to see me and that was absolutely her right. right. I don't blame her one bit. Um, 
And then it had been, you know, over a year at that point, And my mom decided, okay, you're, I was at my mom's house just kind of doing some things. And uh, my daughter was about to be dropped off. And my mom goes, well, she hasn't said that she's ready. But I say, let's just have you be here and see how that goes and if she's okay. And uh, it was, it was amazing. Saw her, you know, and we started, uh, once I got an apartment, I got a little basement apartment starting out. And I would have her come over and we slowly worked that in until I got a house and uh, she moved in with me full time. And uh, yeah, so she, uh, I've got actually all of her stuff. She's 23 now. I've got all of her stuff. She just moved out of her place in Denver and she's moved back to town. So her, my spare room here has become her storage room until she finds a place. So Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so we have a great relationship now. Hell yeah. Very open and honest with her. You got me tearing about, up, man. Like, that's uh, the good shit. That is yeah. the good shit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm yeah, happy it to hear that. Me too. Yeah, we, we're really close now. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, different kids go different ways. But in her case, I've been so honest about you know, the fact that I am just a person who struggles with addiction, no matter what it is, I have to be real careful on social media. I get addicted to that shit. I'll get addicted to anything. Um, and I've been honest with her that, you know, there are some genetic components to that. And so she should, you know, be mindful of that for her life. Yeah. And somehow she's managed to just kind of be a, a normal person uh awesome. she hasn't gotten into awful bullshit she she drinks no, like a normal person you know she'll go out to dinner and have a margarita uh -huh. that's it <laughs> you know and i'm just like wow where did this come from i'm impressed what what a concept right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah just one what the fuck <laughs> yeah what is that i don't know i don't so get it weird. I yeah don't get it either. just one beer yeah yeah one beer. Yeah, get she, out of here she's that alone. kind of person man she can awesome. do it and she hasn't ever really ventured into drugs uh so yeah, so far so good. She's wonderful and independent and, uh, you know, despite all of my regrets of, uh, I, I do obviously regret having put her through that uh, missing and especially, you know, missing that time, missing that time with her when she was growing up that I should have these sweet memories of and you know, I was fucked up or MIA and, um, and that will always be my biggest regret in life. Uh, but through that, she's become a really strong independent person who knows what she wants and doesn't take any shit from anybody. That's beautiful. So yeah. Yeah. Right so, on, man. Yeah. Well, Lizzie, this has been a great talk you said you're nervous but you killed this like <laughs> i've never been on a podcast before man of course i'm gonna awesome. be nervous you did great i'm like i'm like should i write notes what should i what should <laughs> i get in there Shit. i don't know and then i was like okay 
settle the fuck down. <laughs> Talk to this guy who's your friend. You yeah. Know? Come yeah. On. Get yeah. it done. Now you yeah. did great. Um, now, one thing I always do with everybody okay. who comes on and they're in recovery, if you could speak to that one person in the audience right now who is struggling, who wants to find a way out, what are some words of wisdom that you can lay on them? Oh, wow, man. You know, that is different for every person. But I think one of the universal truths for someone in that situation who I've been on multiple occasions, um, just desperate and wanting a way out, but not knowing how, um, I really think the very, the very first step is reach out to somebody that you know of that is doing the recovery thing, no matter what program they're involved in or involved in no program at all. Um, reach out, look online, find out where some meetings in your area are. If you don't know anyone personally uh, that you, you think could be of value to help you, just reach out to any recovery community or any recovery person and say, hey, I'm struggling and I need help. What should I do? You know, um, that's really the first, I mean, the first step is admitting we have a problem. And, um, and, it's you gotta it takes a certain amount of humility you know we all like to think we're tough badasses um and a lot of times that's i for me that's a defense mechanism that i've utilized often throughout my life but when you're when you're struggling you're struggling and nobody's going to judge you for that uh anybody anywhere in the recovery community is going to know exactly where you're at it's not a thing to be embarrassed of we get it. We've been there. Just reach out to someone and ask for next steps. What can I do? Where's a meeting? Um, give me some guidance. Um, you know, there's a lot of other stuff, uh, depending on exactly which drug you're withdrawing from or whatever. Uh, you know, sugar was my best friend in early recovery because you got to substitute those neurotransmitters somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just reach out. That's the main thing. Just reach out to somebody, uh, in any recovery community. That's and, um, yes. yeah. And that goes, if you're listening to that and that hit home, if you are that person who used to have clean time and fucked it up, you're, you're hearing from two people who went through the same. Yep. Both Lizzie and myself came back. I had seven years when I fell oh, off, man. you know, so yeah. But we come back, you know? Yeah. Fuck it's a yeah. process. You know, life is a journey. That's that's part of that's part of the thing that I'm learning. You know, I think a lot of times we focus on a destination. Once I get this, then I'll be fine. Right. That's never, that's never the case. It's a no. journey. We have ups and downs and we will fail. And the real goal is is how how you get back up again. Fuck you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lizzie, this has been Great. Fantastic. And I can't Thanks, thank you man. enough for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great. Anytime, man. You can mic on anytime you want. All right. All right. Sounds good. All and right, it's, well, it's been great meeting you and, and calling you a friend on Twitter. Likewise. And, uh, I, you know, I also have just finally officially joined the libertarian party. I feel hey. like they're, 
Yeah, I feel like they're the only people right now that I can point to, some of them anyway, that are actually speaking up for real human freedom. And I love what you're doing with the Sober Caucus. I haven't, I do have to say, I haven't looked too deep into that yet. But um, of course, uh, my full support for that. I think that's a wonderful venture that you're undertaking and just props to you for that, man. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a group effort, you know, when a bunch of rebellious addicts get together, what else was supposed to happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, Hey Lizzie, you have a good night. All right. You too, man. Thanks so much. Anytime. All right. All right, there you have it. Like I said, a wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much to Lizzie for coming on the show. And like I also said, man, that that is a story of somebody who had significant time and recovery, fell off, and managed to find their way back. So if you were that person, if that speaks to you, this episode's for you. This episode is proof that it is possible to come back, to dust yourself off and get right back into the game. And I can't thank Lizzie enough for coming on and sharing that hope with us. And uh, yeah, there you have it. There it is, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, Thank you for the audience for just, yeah, listening to my content, listening to these stories and for sharing and for doing all the wonderful things that you guys do. Um, Be on the lookout, you know, here pretty soon. I'm wanting to do another fundraiser. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, I'm kind of looking at a couple of different organizations, someplace that will really benefit from a little pick-me-up, especially in the years of the COVIDs, of the COV, right? So um, anyway, that's it. And the song of the day, um, this is not so much by special request, but I found out Lizzie loves the distillers. So I've specifically held off on playing this band up until this very episode. So this is the distillers. This is a badass punk band, um, been around for a while. And this song is called the hunger and dude, they just, you know, ass kicking good music. So, uh, without, any more rambling or ranting on my behalf, my part, here is The Distillers with The Hunger. Holy eyes, never know, I'm back down at your feet. Oh. 